is ChatGPT and how can it be used in education? How will artificial intelligence change our roles as teachers? What are the new AI literacies we should be addressing in schools? These are some of the questions we will address in this episode of Learner Engagement Activated, the podcast that helps you take teaching and learning to the next level with the latest in research and applications on learner engagement for students at all ages, levels, and environments. This podcast hosts leaders in the field to bring you advice for how to increase learner engagement to improve student outcomes. I'm your host, Ann Fency, and in this episode, I speak with Brent Anders, an educator and leader in the field of AI and education. Ready, set, activate. Brett Anders is a researcher, instructor, author, and speaker on instructional technology with a special focus on artificial intelligence for learning. He is a lecturer and director of institutional research and assessment at the American University in Armenia and is the author of Seven Characteristics of an Excellent Instructor Based on Learning Science, How to Be a Superstudent, and ChatGPT AI in Education, What It Is and How to Use It in the Classroom. So I'm very excited to welcome Brett Anders. Thank you very much. It's great to, to be here. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about education, technology, and especially this crazy new thing called uh, AI as far as how education is going to be able to use it. Yeah. So let, I don't want to make any assumptions about what people know already about ChatGPT and AI. Imagine I've been in a coma for the last six months, and I don't know, I've never heard of ChatGPT. So can you explain, like, basically, what is artificial intelligence, like, in simple terms, and, you know, maybe use ChatGPT as the example, and what can it do, and what can it not do? Right. So <clears throat> so this is kind of the, the interesting part, because, you know, I, I've gone in front of many different audiences, and I'm always trying to judge, like, okay, how... How much do they know? Because yeah. do I go in and start using a bunch of acronyms, LLM, AI, general AI, you know, all these things. But the big thing to try to do is exactly what you're talking about, just to talk about it sort of in general terms, because most of us in education aren't programmers. We're not uh, computer nerds, although I, I, I uh, you know, I'm very much with the computer nerds because I started <laughs> off by learning HTML and the back ends of creating a websites. A little bit of a computer nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the best way that I can define it, and I've seen lots of different ways to do this, but the one that I like to use is think of AI as a smart friend, right? A smart, a smart friend that isn't perfect. None of us are perfect. We probably all have smart friends. And it's one of those smart friends that knows a lot about a lot. So that, you know, it's one, it's this type of person that you can turn to and ask all sorts of questions on lots of different topics. And they'll be able to give you a pretty good answer most of the time. Hmm. So that kind of leads into whenever I talk about ChatGPT, I always have to go in and in expressing what AI is and ChatGPT, the key thing to understand in knowing how to use it is this idea of AI literacy. So what AI literacy is talking about first is having this awareness of, of AI. Like As you're saying, well, what is AI? AI is many different things. It's not just one thing. So mm -hmm. in the past, what AI represented were things that were being done on the back end with computers, data mining, being able to look at lots of information and then helping a company to give you then feedback such as 
oh, I see you're a returning customer to, let's say, Amazon. Here are some suggested um, items for you to purchase. Yep. Yeah, the suggested oh, item, Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, hey, welcome back to Netflix. Here are some movies that we think you're going to like. So some recommendations, right? Mm -hmm. And then it kind of moved into some other aspects where now we were slightly starting to engage with it, such as using Grammarly. Grammarly can help you with what you're writing about, and it can make some suggestions. It can say, hey, you know, it's... It's the, the way that your writing is a little too academic based off of the audience that you're going for, some things like mm -hmm. that. And then we have these other aspects, such as when you're typing now in Gmail, it'll do something called predictive analysis. And oh, it'll, yeah. Yeah, it'll sort of say, hey, do, do you want to finish the sentence by saying yeah. this? You know, so it'll give you a little little And hint it's pretty smart, what, too. Like, yeah, most of the yeah, time, it knows what I'm going to type. <laughs> exactly. At first, I was sort of very apprehensive, like, you know, don't tell me what to do. But then more and more, I'm like, oh, yeah, complete it, auto complete it. It saves me time. So, of course, yeah. I want that. But now, with the invention and the release of Chat GPT, this was sort of revolutionary because now this is a new AI system that can do things differently in, as far as how a person can interact with it. So, now this is an AI system that simply presents a text input field, and we can type in any type of question on any type of topic using plain English. So nothing in the back end that we need to know about, no type of coding that we need to know. We just ask it a simple question. A simple question, and the example that I always give is, hey, can you write me an essay about democracy in 2023? Right. Well, first of all, we have to understand how the system works. So when I give it that, it will it will give me an instant result. So in this case, that type of specific question, if I'm using chat GPT, it'll say, well, hey, I only have information till 2021. Mm -hmm. So now already we're starting to see sort of some limitations there. So yep. if I change it to say, give me an essay on democracy in general, then it'll instantly within two, three seconds, it'll give me a full essay. Mm -hmm. Now, Taking that essay, let's say that we have this essay, and I also told it, hey, give me um, in-text citations and a reference list. So I gave it that. Instantly, it gives me an answer just a few seconds. Now we have to take into the account some other aspects of what goes on with AI literacy. So another key component here in AI literacy is ability, ability to use the system. So here, I'm interacting with the system. I'm able to use it. And we have to understand that if we don't gain this ability, we're not going to be as competitive with mm -hmm. someone else that maybe can use the system. So ability is a key thing. And yeah, then knowledge. this new term, yeah. prompt engineering. Yes, exactly. Being able to actually ask questions in the right way of AI. Yeah. Right. And we're when yeah, exactly. When we're saying prompt, we're specifically here talking about questions. And so that'll come into play the more advanced we get with the system. And this kind of ties in with, with another part here, which is the, the last part of AI literacy, which is critical thinking. Now, critical thinking, it, this actually has lots of different aspects to it because the very first thing we have to understand with critical thinking is a critical awareness and analysis of whatever the AI gives us. So in the example I said, you know, write me this uh, short essay on democracy and give me in-text citations and a reference list. So I've done that many times. And usually what it does is it'll give me, it'll actually do it. In-text citations and a reference list. Mm -hmm. 
But then when I look at the reference list, lots of times there'll be at least one reference that'll be completely made up. Yeah. Now it's important to understand that it's not just wrong. Like I can look at it and go, oh yeah, that's totally wrong. No, it'll be confidently wrong. So by <laughs> that, I mean, is that you, that might be a real author. It might be a real title of a real book, but that author didn't write that book. And it might be a real publishing company, but that publishing company didn't publish this book, which wasn't written by this author. But yeah. looking at it, it looks totally real. Like, wow, that could definitely be a book written by this person, but nope, it's incorrect. So this is what's being uh, dubbed as hallucinations, uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of a, a weird name for it because it's not a person seeing something in the distance because of the sun or anything like that. Nope, it's just the computer filling in information. So it's not that it's trying to lie to you, it's just trying to fill in information because we mm -hmm. have to understand, well, how does the system work? This this type of system, this type of AI, ChatGPT, is using it's using all the the sources that it has, and it has a, most of the internet, uh, lots of uh, books from Gutenberg Press, and a little bit of social media. It's extracting all that, looking at it, and then predicting what it should give you as a proper response. That's not just predicting from a couple of words. It's looking at like nine hundred different words, and it's going through as far as predicting in advance. It's actually looking at you know, many, many billions of tokens of information. And then it's giving you the information that it thinks would be correct based off of different variables. So that's a big part of this critical thinking of it. But then along with that comes other aspects such as ethical considerations. Mm -hmm. Am I using this in the right way? Uh, what about the safety of the information that I'm giving it? Is it being secure? Is it being used in a different way? Is it being sold? We have mm -hmm. to realize that regular chat GPT, the regular version, the public version, it's still in beta. So they're using all that information to train the language model. And we're giving up that information to them and they can do whatever they want to with it. Because again, it's a free beta model. So those are some important aspects that I always try to sort of start off with whenever I'm talking about chat GPT and AI in general, this AI literacy, because I think it's one of the most important things going forward because we have to understand, well, if there's going to be multiple AI systems that are going to increase their capabilities and what they can do, we have to be able to critically think about and analyze anything that we see. So that means text, video, audio, images, they could all be created with AI. So we can't just take our eyes for it, where if you see it, if you can believe it, no, we have to think, okay, is this written by AI? Is this made by AI? Let me critically analyze, let me check sources. Let me make sure that this is correct. So that's an important part that we really need to consider. And I think this is a major thing that education really needs to start to address. Just like, you know, 10 years ago, the big thing was critical thinking in general. Like we were starting to put that into every single class. Oh, everybody needs to be a critical thinker. I mm -hmm. totally agree with that. This is an, an extension of that. Everyone needs to have this AI literacy that includes critical thinking as well. Mm, yeah. So I'm just imagining like I am a busy teacher or a faculty member um, at a university or, you know, an elementary school teacher. And like, I don't have time to learn all of these things, you know, but it's coming. And I don't want my students to learn the nefarious side of AI. I want, I want to teach them, you know, the the responsible stuff, the, you know, the AI literacy. Mm -hmm. How, like what's 
what's in it for me as a teacher? Like, how can I use it to engage my learners? And like, can you give me some examples of, of what a teacher could do? Sure. So we, you know, we're talking about a broad spectrum here of, let's say, young students to higher education students. The big thing to understand first is, well, AI is a very hip new thing, right? So it's very out there and people are interested in it. I've already given a couple of different presentations to higher education students, and they were very riveted, very wanting to understand this, this new technology. So that in itself, we can use that to our advantage in that it's a motivational topic. Mm. So, you know, bringing students forward and saying, hey, we're going to talk about AI, instantly you're going to get some, some focus, which is great, which yeah. is half the battle, right? And instructing. Yep. <laughs> uh, so one way that I've seen it uh, being done with uh, younger students is where together as a class, the instructor can pose, pose different questions to the AI. So they can do this where they can do, they can ask a question to the students and say, okay, students, here's a question dealing with, with this topic. What do you think the computer's gonna say? Let's try to come up with what the computer might say. Okay, now let's ask the computer. The computer then answers. And now we talk about the answer that the computer gave. Was that a complete answer? Are there some things missing? How different is that from the questions or the answers that we came up with? Yeah. So again, getting them to engage and understand and then slowly starting to integrate that, that AI literacy as well, because now they're gaining an understanding of how to use it, as well as seeing some critical analysis of it about what type of answers is it giving. And then you can do things where, okay, what if we change the question and we did this instead? Now you can see there's a difference going on there. With older students, you can have different challenges such as, hey, come up with different questions about this topic, and then we'll pose that to the AI. So now you're incorporating them more. You can also do things where you can present information to the class, such as, okay, here's a question, and I'm going to give you three different answers. One of them was made by an AI. Two of them came from different authors on this topic. Hmm. Let's see if you can decide which one is which. So again, having them sort of think through ways that people think that would be a, another alternative. The other big one that, that I also offer for, for teaching writing would be that you have an AI that a student could use so they could create a rough draft with the AI and now they go through and track changes and now the student goes in and modifies it, edits it, you know, adjusts it in different ways. There's many different ways to incorporate AI and it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. One of the other big things that I try to push with the instructors were, where I work at here is trying to empower them, trying to show them, hey, you don't have to fully integrate AI into your teaching. And you know, you can, there's many different ways to incorporate it. It could be a small little bit here and there. It could be a major use here. The big thing is that you're in charge. But what is going to start to have happen more and more is that the student is going to want to use AI directly initially. So mm -hmm. now that instructor has to be ready to say, no, for this assignment, we're not using AI. And here's the reasons why. Mm. Here's the specific reasons behind my thinking as to why you should not use AI for this assignment, why I'm not letting you use AI for this assignment. Why? Because I'm having you build skills mastery at this level. Later on in the semester, or maybe not, in the next subsequent class, level two, that's when you're going to be incorporating AI. But the student needs to now start to understand, because they're going to start to demand this more and more, why can't I use AI for this? 
Why do I need this basic skills mastery at this level? So the instructor needs to be ready to say, hey, in order for you to, to see and understand what right looks like over here, you need to have basic skills mastery here at this level. So again, making sure that you're thinking through as that instructor is going to be extremely important. Well, and that's, you know, that's teaching metacognition, you know, and yeah. helping students understand how we learn that right. we can't think big thoughts unless we have the building blocks to move around inside our minds. And, you know, you have to acquire those building blocks somehow, and you can't just have them handed to you. You have to build them yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I like yeah. that idea of like having that conversation with students where, you know, this is the time where you're going to get some basics. So AI isn't going to help you here. Or maybe you could use AI to help you practice something, start to learn and memorize some of those basics. But yeah, we're going to use AI later for this other kind of task. And, you know, that I think helps students to judge for themselves, like when is appropriate times to use AI tools. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be a future question, but uh, that that that's exactly it. So again, you know, I'm all about instructor empowerment and having them decide at the instructor level when it's appropriate or not. And it's mm -hmm. interesting because, you know, I run into many different types of instructors, some who really want to embrace AI, some who really want to resist AI. And so I talked to my my friend who's a, he teaches philosophy and he's very much against AI on several different levels. So we had a great discussion. In fact, it's one of my, my videos on my YouTube page. And uh, so I talked to him and I, I, I go through this process of telling him, okay, you're, you're against it. You, you, you have your different reasons. You've expressed that to your students. They're, they're getting skills mastery at this different level. And then I, I challenged him. I said, but do you still see where AI can still very much serve the student on multiple levels because it's this additional tool. It's this additional thing. Remember at the very beginning, we talked about how this is your smart friend. Mm -hmm. Well, regardless of what class I take, I'll go to my smart friend and talk about my class. I'll go to my smart friend if I have a question about the class. If I can't talk to the instructor, well, then I'll talk to my smart friend. Hey, buddy. Hey, smart friend. Can you go over these uh, questions with me? Because I have a quiz coming up in this other class. ChatGPT can do that. Yeah. Hey, you know, in class, we talked about uh, this level. Uh, we, you know, Socrates uh, was explaining this and I didn't get it. Uh, can you explain this component, but at a lower grade level so that I can understand it? ChatGPT can do that. It can mm -hmm. summarize the information and then express it to you at different levels. So again, this tool that AI, that ChatGPT can function as is something that we also need to think about as far as empowering the student individually outside of our regular use of it within our pedagogical techniques. So again, it can work hand in hand, but it can also work in different ways to just give that student themselves additional power. And really allow the teacher to personalize learning because, you know, probably three quarters of the class understood that concept in, mm -hmm. in philosophy and then one quarter of the class didn't. So you as the teacher have to decide, okay, what do I do? Do I spend more class time going over this and leave, you know, the let three quarters of the class be bored? Or do I, you know, move on and leave those students in the dust and try to figure out something to do? Well, this now allows you to, you know, differentiate and, you know, you have students spending time doing different things and it's just one more tool in the toolbox. 
Yeah. yeah, that's a great way to put it. One more tool in the toolbox. Because the thing is that now as the instructor, you know, we talked a lot about how how ChatGPT can help the student, can help with pedagogy, different things like that. But just directly to serve as a tool for the for the instructor, there's so much that ChatGPT can do for you. Uh, I've I've gone through and I've done different things where I've had it create uh, rubrics for me. So okay. you put in the information, the prompt, you prompt it by saying, hey, create a rubric for this topic and this type of course. Here's the criteria. Go from there. And it'll create it for you. You can say, put this in a spreadsheet format and it'll create it in a spreadsheet format. So all you have to do is copy and put it in Excel to jazz it up however you want. But the thing is, you can continually edit it as well all through mm -hmm. the interface of ChatGPT. So, you know, it's directly helping you that way. You can have it create outlines for your course. You can have it create different questions for you as far as quiz questions, test questions. You can make multiple versions of it because you can tell it to, no, create new ones, create new ones. So that's the big thing is that this can also greatly function as a tool to help uh, the instructor themselves as they're going through the class. I recently made another video where it's talking about using chat GPT to help the instructor in each portion of course alignment. So mm -hmm. that means that I could use ChatGPT to help me in creating the best SLOs possible, student learning outcomes, you know, identifying great action verbs, how to put it together. That can all be done with the help of ChatGPT. I can then go in and ask it, well, what would be some good assessments that I could do for this level of Bloom's taxonomy, let's say. And it'll give you different ideas, different possibilities. And then with the pedagogy aspect, as far as the, the third part there in, in course alignment, instructional activities, you can ask it, hey, what would be some good hands-on learning activities that I could do for this level of Bloom's taxonomy? And it'll give you multiple ideas. And the, the big thing with what you were saying before with prompt engineering, the more detail that you can provide it, the mm -hmm. more specifics it can then give to you as far as responding to your questions. Mm, wow. So it can like really help you do your job as a teacher, you know, without, you know, letting letting you still be in control, but just like we were talking about with Gmail, it's it's saving you time. You know, right. you still decide, like sometimes I'm typing into Gmail and I'm like, no, that's not what I meant to say. So I just keep typing. But a lot of times, yeah, you're right. It saves me time and I'll just right. hit enter and have it, you know, put that in there instead. So um, you know, I like I like that as a as a time saver for teachers. So what should I be concerned about though, as a teacher? So before I like jump in with both feet, like what, what do I need to think about as a teacher? Cause you know, we've heard, we've heard horror stories already, but yeah. <laughs> without, you know, getting panicky, how, what, what should I think about? Right. So <clears throat> the big thing again is even the most recent paper that came out from OpenAI, this was dealing with uh, GPT-4, so that's the newest language. In their paper there, they were very honest with a bunch of different things. And one of the things that came up is some of the research says that we really need to watch out for over-reliance. That's the word that they use, over-reliance. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is very important in that this could cause you to lose certain skills because you're over-reliance on AI, and this might prevent you from learning new skills. Why? Because you're over-relying on the AI. So again, this is where it becomes very important for us to have that critical awareness of, do I need to continue to do things in a certain way, or is it okay to lose this skill? 
All right. That, that's an important thing to think about, too. It, it, it's not so negative to think that, oh, no, we can't change anything. We just it's important for us to go through this thought process of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I, I talked to uh, I gave a presentation to instructors here recently, and one of them came up to me and said, uh, you know, when I finished my dissertation to get my uh, to graduate, I turned in my dissertation and it was totally typed and I turned it in. She was a little bit older. She said it was completely <laughs> typed. I turned it in. And you know what they did? I said, well, what did they do? They rejected it. They gave it back to me and they said, it can't be typed. It has to be handwritten because <laughs> having proper penmanship is a requirement and you can't be a good writer unless you have proper penmanship. Again, you see how the skill was, they still thought that that was an important skill, even though the typewriter was already out. And even now, like who, you know, who writes and turns in a manuscript that's written, it doesn't yeah. even make sense. So that's an important thing for us to think about as far as like, okay, what skills do we need to ensure that we keep? What skills is, is it okay to start to release because we're going to develop these other skills, Mm. but we need to be conscious of that. And that needs to be done purposely as opposed to just blatantly, oh, let's let AI do everything and not even think about it because then we will lose a lot of skills that way. And we won't know what right looks like. So we won't be able to properly have a critical analysis if we don't maintain certain skills, certain capabilities, certain knowledge. So that is an important thing to balance out. And as instructors, we need to be uh, consciously aware of that for sure. So it's kind of like, you know, math teachers in elementary school trying to figure out when do you use a calculator for for instruction in this lesson? And when do you want the students to have those math facts and be able to do that calculation on their own? Yeah, I think that's a a pretty good analogy. I I mean, I use that analogy sometimes with the calculator. I think AI is a little bit different in that it's so much more powerful, but still on some levels, I think that really, really is a good analogy because this was a major thing that happened uh, in education that that was felt for a long time. And that was like several decades worth of going back and forth as far as understanding where it belongs and embracing that technology. And chat GPT, as far as being publicly available, it's only been a few months. I know. It's only yeah. been a few months, uh, but still the, the the lightning pace that things go at now, it's important for us to have these conversations and really think about these things. So kudos to you for having this type of podcast for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of people are curious right now and, you know, a little uncomfortable, which is, mm-hmm. I think is a good thing. I think that's where change comes from is, you know, when we're, you know, that's I I've said this before that I'm actually a little bit grateful for the pandemic because, you know, it really made people question what mm. needs to be done face to face and what can be done, you know, online or right. in asynchronous means, you know, so I think AI and not just chat GPT. I mean, I'm discovering all kinds of tools out there, which are amazing. You know, it it really is going to make us question, you know, what what we're doing. And, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, we rely on the research to say, you know, we, you know, teachers are told all the time to use evidence-based instruction. Well, right. right now, there's not an awful lot of evidence out there about AI. So what should researchers start looking at as AI becomes more commonplace? Mm. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of different aspects to think about. Um, and it's there's a huge spectrum here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a couple of different ones here. But so one of the big things is you have this debate going on, especially when you're dealing with writing, 
because ChatGPT is so good at, at writing now mm -hmm. um, and it continues to get better and better. So one argument is, hey, we've been over-reliant on writing because now we've been able to sort of assign things to students and then we grade them on that. And now that's a representation of what they know. So that's all about the product. And now we're talking about, well, no, it's not about the product. It's all about the process because they're learning as they're going through, they're getting greater mastery of the writing process itself. And then they're learning the subject matter as they're having to write about it. Well, of course, in reality, both of those things are important. It was never the case where it's just about the end product. It's always about both of those. Mm -hmm. But the, the problem here is that there's a lot of people that are focusing completely on the process and forgetting about the product. Well, the product is still important because when the student graduates, they're going to have to be able to produce products, whether that's yeah. a report or something, it has to be done because that's what the boss wants, right? Is that end product. That's what I need to see. So we need to be able to do both. We need to be able to go through the process to learn how to do it properly. And then we have to be able to create this product. So now it becomes important for us to sort of look at, to research, to think about the class that I'm teaching now. Is my class, am I grading them on their ability to go through the writing process? Is that the key for the subject matter that I'm teaching for my mm -hmm. level of class? Or is it the matter of creating that product? What's the most important? What should I actually be grading them on? Because if I'm upset that they're using ChatGPT to write it all out, but this isn't a writing class, this is a class about this topic and I want them to be able to create a product, well then isn't it okay that they're using ChatGPT to give me that product? So again, that's something to think about. Now I'm all for active instruction, right? So we put in not just this summative assignment at the end, but we have multiple formative assignments so I can see the progress going through there. I can ask them questions about the knowledge that they're gaining in creating that product. So even if they use ChatGPT to create a final report, I'm asking them about questions within the report. What do they think? Why did they put that in? Why did they leave things out? So there's all these different parts to it. The other big th thing that I think should be looked at with more and more use of AI in different ways is the social impact. Because mm -hmm. if we are doing more things with AI and we're doing things, let's say, asynchronously or where we're not incorporating people working with each other, then that's going to have some sort of impact. Uh, I think that a lot of learning, not all, but a lot of learning is a social aspect. There's key parts in the social creation uh, that really helps with the learning. Things like reflection and then discussion about the reflection, things about the community of inquiry, working with each other, group work, gaining all these soft skills. I think those are all things that really need to be looked at as far as impact that AI could have um, in different ways. So, and right now we're just talking about education, but there's lots of different things going on with AI that can impact the social aspects of what we do. Um, AI as a standalone friend, that's a big thing, right? That That's starting to develop, meaning that you can have relationships with your AI, whether that's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not, it's not even fringe anymore. It's actually yeah. mainstream. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm talking about AI as a friend to help you, but yeah. there's more and more research going on in AI dealing with AI as a companion. So mm. this could be romantic. This could be just uh 
just to be, you know, to serve as like a best friend because I don't have lots of people with me. I'm elderly. All my children have moved away. This is a companion for me. There's lots of different things there. That's going to have big social impact as well. So I think that there's so many different realms that, that could be researched that really need lots of academics to be part of this. Mm, wow. Yeah. Wow. Definitely some things to think about there. So um, I have three questions that I ask all of our guests. So mm-hmm. first, what is a major barrier to learner engagement that you have experienced? Right. So whenever we're talking about a barrier, to me, the very first thing that comes up is this aspect of motivation. Right? Mm-hmm. Motivation is key. Motivation, I think, is a fundamental aspect for any type of educational interaction, simply because if the student doesn't have some level of motivation, then they're going to be bored. They're going to be unfocused. And if they're unfocused and bored, there's no way that they can learn. So that's where we really have to think about this dealing with our engagement. And as we talked about at the beginning, right, AI is a motivational thing in itself. Now, I'm definitely not for using technology just to say that we're using technology. But right now, since it's so hip, it's, it could definitely be a way to at least get their attention. And well, the, the main uh, philosophy that I use when I instruct the dealing with motivation is the ARCS model. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that or your, your, uh, your, your listeners, but the ARCS model is developed by John Keller. The A stands for the first part, which is attention. So I need to grab their attention to begin with. So the yeah. fact that we're using AI, the fact that we're using this, this tool, this modern tool, that in itself could serve as a mechanism for attention. On the, the next part in ARCS model is R, which is the relevance. This is so crucial. Everything that we do is this relevance. Uh, at the beginning, we also talked about using AI and then not using AI. Well, we have to have the relevancy. Why are we using the AI? Why are we yeah. not using the AI? It has to be not just explained, but explicitly explained so that the students really understand personally, at, you know, at that level, why is this relevant? Why does this make sense? The, the so what question. That is a key part in maximizing the engagement. Then the next one in ARCs here is the C. The C stands for confidence. When I explain this part, I always push it as in two ways, this confidence part. Confidence meaning you as a student should have confidence in me as the instructor. I I am a subject matter expert in this. I have experience dealing with this. I have an education dealing with this. And I'm here to go through this properly with you at an appropriate level and you can rely on me to come up with answers. I might not know everything, but I'll know where to get it. I'll know how we can get through this together. Then the other aspect, the other coin or the other part of that coin with confidence is that the student needs to have confidence in going through the course. That mm-hmm. means that they can't think that this course is so, so difficult that there's no way I can get through this. This course is way too much. No, as the instructor, I need to be able to instill confidence in them. I need to present the information in a logical manner. And I also need to have proper scaffolding where needed. And again, that's where ChatGPT can definitely shine to help me create that scaffolding to give that student more confidence. And then the final one deals with uh, satisfaction. So this is a big thing. The student needs to be satisfied that they spent their time well in this class. A big way of doing that as the instructor is by giving them opportunities to actually demonstrate the skills that they've gained. So if mm-hmm. they can apply their skills to show that, oh yeah, you've learned how to do this, that's exactly where, again, ChatGPT can come in because it can give you ideas on how to do that. It can also serve as a mechanism for that. So again, the way that we interact with, the, with this AI 
can help us in all these different parts of dealing with motivation, which again, maximizes that engagement. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you, you're a really good salesman for ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my next question is about the future. What should we start thinking about exploring in our discussions on learner engagement that isn't fully being addressed yet? Okay, so uh, here I think a big thing, and it's it's funny because this is when I when I when I think about this question, I think about one of the first times that I presented uh, dealing with ChatGPT, and it was uh, it was on Brian Alexander's Future uh, Forum, mm-hmm. and I presented there, and it was basically just sort of information you know it's a lot of information because this was brand new so i was telling all these different things everybody was really excited about them and then one one uh one person chimed in they were an instructor at some university i, don't, I can't remember her name um but she also served on an accreditation committee and she made a statement that was very profound i thought she stated that this further proves and should further help instructors to understand that them being this knowledge keeper and holder of all the information is a relic. It's it's gone. Now we have to think about the future implementation, the future importance of the instructor. What's the purpose of that instructor? Well, the the purpose of that instructor, the the main reason to have that instructor, because you have to remember AI is going to get better and better and better. It's going to become more of a tutor with more capabilities, able to interact and respond quickly, personalize all this thing. So why have this real personal instructor? Well, now we have to think, what is it that makes us human? What is it that we really bring to the table? Well, the first thing is this motivational aspect. You know, we just talked about motivation. That is a big thing. If I can motivate my students, if I can exhibit this enthusiasm for the for the content, if I can exhibit trying to show the importance of the content, well, then that's going to really enhance the experience that the student has. Because we have to remember that a course itself, that's an event, that's an experience, that's an educational experience. It's not just a knowledge dump. It's not mm-hmm. just them you know, yep. picking up facts and figures. That's not what it is. It's them actually going through this experience, this learning process. So what can we bring to the table? We can do the motivation. We can also explain things in a humanized way. We can ask questions directly and then have that bounce off of other students so that we're interacting with each other and really building this community, this social community of inquiry so that we're learning from each other. We're really having this instructional, social, cognitive presence in the learning process. So more of that, I think, is what we really need to think of in the future as far as the importance of the human aspect to the learning process and the instructor, what they really need to be focused on developing within themselves in order to be that best type of instructor. I think it's quickly going to be gone the times of this type of instructor that just comes in, who is a subject matter expert, tons of research, great, been publicized, great. They come in and all they do is have a lecture for an hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> sadly, that still happens, but I think more and more students will start to say, hey, why are we doing this when ChatGPT can give me that exact same information? I don't yeah. need you as an instructor to just read to me. You know, that's a bygone era. Now we need this interaction. Now we need student-centered instruction. So part of that, part of the uh, to be a good, successful instructor is having these personal skills of being a great presenter, 
verbal, nonverbal forms of communication, being able to articulate, being able to express, being able to motivate itself and, and share in that excitement and enthusiasm for the course, I think is going to become a greater and greater important skill in the future. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the role of the instructor in K through 12 and higher education has been evolving, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, this is an opportunity to really help figure out what, what do we want teachers to be and what do yeah. we need teachers to be, you know, because there's, yeah, there's knowledge and maybe an AI can provide you with, it can present knowledge to you, but it doesn't have pedagogical content knowledge. It doesn't yet know the best way to present it to you in a way that you'll understand it. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's something, I don't know, maybe AI will figure that out in the future, you know? So maybe right, right. the role of the teacher changes again. Yeah. Well, see, and, and it's funny because, you know, I, I I play this real dual mode in, in, my, in my mind all the time because, you know, I'm very much human and very much support this stuff. And I'm also sort of enthusiastic about AI and what it can offer us simply because I've been in many classes that I thought were terrible uh, because the instructor was not good. And I always thought, man, if there was an AI that could do this, it would be great. But then, of course, I'm in academia and I want to be the best instructor possible. So I very much, am, you know, I want the humans to win in all this. Yes. <laughs> but AI, AI and its capabilities is continuing to just lightning fast uh, improvements. Things like having cameras built into the AI system where it can monitor the faces of every single student and detect when they're not getting it. Yeah. You know, to detect a slight frown or to, to detect a look of confusion. So then it could modify its own presentation. Sure, it can modify, but is it properly addressing each student individually in a classroom? Is it ex- you know, expressing things in a way to sort of improve the energy of the room, improve understanding bring personal anecdotes and all these different things that are really important. So there's a human aspect that I think will continue to prevail. Um, but my only worry is that AI will be used at sort of lower levels because it's going to become good enough for yep. an education. And then the elites will have this, oh, wow, you, you had a real instructor? What did you do? Go to an Ivy League college? You know, <laughs> that type of thing. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what the future holds. But I think if we have good instructors with good personal communication, you know, professional communication capabilities, that's going to win out um, in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we wrap up, what my final question is, what is the one thing you want people to remember from this conversation? The, the biggest thing is the AI literacy, going back to AI literacy, that's so important even if you're 100% against AI, I fully understand, no problem, but you still need to have this AI literacy and you still need to be pushing AI literacy to your students just so that they're aware that it exists, that other people have access, other students have access, other instructors have access, other businesses, competitors, all countries, they're all developing, they're all increasing their capabilities with this. So it's important that we at least know. And then of course, a big part this is critical analysis we have to develop and we have to instill this in all students that they should be critical of all media, meaning that the fact that they saw a video, the fact that they saw a news report, they still have to be thinking, was this generated by an AI? Let me get some additional uh, input on this. Let me get additional sources to verify. And this is going to be becoming more and more important in the future. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, because there's some pretty convincing uh, AI-generated yeah. stuff out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you seen the, the the Pope in a puffy jacket? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you know, that that's just it. So that's a, a photorealistic, you know, it, and it convinced many people that that's a, yeah. re, that's a real photo of the Pope wearing this puffy jacket. So it looks a little bit humorous. But the big thing is that's right now in 2023. We still have all this time before the next election. Now imagine the next election and what is going to be coming out as far as photos, real yeah. videos that look so realistic. There's no way to distinguish it unless you do some sort of computer analysis. It's going to affect a lot of people. That's why we really have to develop this critical analysis to think about, hey, this, our very first instincts should be, hey, this could be fake. Hey, this could be made up. And that's going to be a difficult thing for people to really get, uh, but they have to moving forward because of this technology. Yeah. And, you know, we're not just preparing students for jobs. We're preparing them right. to be members of their communities and their yeah. you know, their uh, countries. And, you know, it it really does take being critical. Yeah. 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 And, and, and also understanding that, hey, we're doing this to improve society, right? I don't want to end on a negative note. I yeah. want to end on sort of the positive aspects of this yeah, yeah, because yeah. if we can use it in this in the right way, we can get rid of lots of negativity, falsehoods, and then focus on the realities of it. And it causes us to think more about this, to go through this process of really analyzing, see what's good, see what's bad, keep the good and move forward for sure. Mm, yeah. And free us up to do better things. Yeah. 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 So Brett Anders, thank you so much for this awesome conversation about AI and chat GPT. And I have a feeling um, this conversation is not going to be ending anytime soon. <laughs> no, the, the world wants to know, the world wants to improve. So yeah, yeah there's a, there's a, lots of opportunity for, for us in academia. I'm glad that we're having this conversation because academics all over the world need to continue to discuss, to, to continue to think about how we can use this to our advantage to really enhance the overall educational experience. So thank you for doing what you're doing. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Learner Engagement Activated is produced by the Learner Engagement Division of the Association for Educational Communications and Technology. This episode was hosted by Ian Fency with sound editing and production by Ian Fency. The music is from Purple Planet. Visit the Learner Engagement Division online at www.learnerengagement.org and find out more about the Association for Educational Communications and Technology at aect.org.